0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Good Life Podcast with Mike Safosnick. Back-to-back shows that aren't live at Jack Dempsey's. So I'm coming to you live from my studio apartment here in New York City. Before I get to today's incredible guest, I really just want to thank everyone who has listened to and subscribed to any of my previous episodes. Uh, the one with Damien Eccles known for being wrongfully convicted of murder, spending 18 years on death row, and all my recent interviews with Eric Winston from the Cincinnati Bengals, Chris Canty, formerly of the Giants and Ravens. Like I say every show, I have three huge passions in my life. Sports, traveling the world, and reading. Uh, Another year I'm trying to read 52 books in 52 weeks. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I'm beyond giddy for today's guest. I've had a bunch of other authors on. But around 15 years ago, I tiptoed into the world of true crime reading. I read, I guess you can call them the classics, uh, The Stranger Beside Me, Helter Skelter. And then someone gave me a book, and he says, hey, you got to read this book. It's called Deranged, about this guy named Albert Fish. I said, okay, I'll check it out. To this day, it's still the most frightening and sickening book I've ever read in my life. After that, I looked up the author, and I got a book called Deranged. And then I got... I think depraved. And Harold Schefter became my favorite author. I probably read seven or eight of his books. I never thought I'd even had the chance to interview him, but he's on the phone right now. So I want to welcome to the show my favorite author, Harold Schefter. Good morning, Doctor. How are you?
0: Good, good. Uh, Very glad to be on your show. Thank you for the flattering words.
1: Before I get into your books and backgrounds, I actually want to know more about you than just your books. One book we have to talk about, And if you can just tell everyone listening about Albert Fish, because I still find it as the most fascinating story. And when people ask about true crime, it's the book I recommend. So can you tell everyone listening about Albert Fish and that whole story?
0: Uh, Well, Albert Fish is uh, widely regarded as the most heinous serial killer in the annals of American crime. Uh, He was a lifelong pedophile and sadist. Uh, Really, he had an incredible range of sexual perversions, Um, but he'd spent uh, his uh, or misspent his long life uh, preying on children across the country. Um, But he came to uh, national uh, attention uh, after abducting a beautiful young girl named Grace Budd uh, in New York City in 1928 Um, and uh, her fate was not discovered until some years later when they finally caught Fish Um, but Fish had uh, uh, lured her to a deserted house um, in a, a, a northern suburb of New York City and killed her and dismembered her and uh, taken um, about eight pounds of her flesh back with him uh, to his New York City, to his Manhattan boarding house and made it into a stew and spent the next week uh, slowly consuming it. So, yeah, I mean, um, briefly put, Fish, who was 65 years old at the time of his capture, was a cannibal pedophile. Um, And again, this uh, really, well... one of the genuine monsters um in our criminal history
1: now harold there's two questions i've always wanted to i guess find out one there's a letter that he wrote to grace bud's mom which was nauseating the letter how he basically he described what he did to her is that letter true or is that more of an urban legend
0: no no that letter is very true in fact uh Uh, I have seen the actual letter with my own eyes. Um, No, no, that letter is, uh, that's not an urban legend. That's the reality, and that's how they, you know, that's how they eventually caught fish. You know, fish had this lifelong habit of writing uh, obscene letters to people. Uh, And, of course, this was not only the most obscene letter that he ever wrote, it's, arguably the most obscene letter anybody's ever written um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Fish had gotten away with the crime and then um, I guess six years later uh, felt compelled to send this uh, horrendous letter to Grace Bud's mother in which, as you said, you know, he describes exactly what he had done to the daughter, but no, that letter uh, absolutely exists
1: Where did you get to see the letter?
0: Uh, well, um, it is actually in the possession of somebody that I know, you know, there is right. <laughs> a, yeah, there, you know, there is uh there is a, you know, a, a, I guess call it a subculture of people, um, who are collectors or archivists of this kind of material. Um, so yeah, no, I have, uh, I've seen the actual letter numerous times.
1: And one other thing, was it ever discovered how many people he did kill?
0: No, uh, actually. Um, I was kind of hoping to find that out myself a couple of years ago. He was um, uh, After he was captured, he was examined by a very, very famous New York psychiatrist named Frederick Wortham. Um, and when I was researching my book, Wortham's Papers, Wortham had died by then and his wife had donated his um, papers to the Library of Congress. When I was researching Derange, there was uh, certain stipulations, and, and they were, uh, be, you know, because some of uh, Wortham's patients, I guess, were still alive at that time. Uh, his wife had stipulated that his papers could not be examined by scholars for the next twenty years or so. Um, so I wasn't able to see them. But a couple of years ago, uh, while working on another book. Uh, I went to the Library of Congress. By then, the restrictions had been lifted, and I went okay. through Wortham's papers, uh, hoping to find. Uh, you know, I always assumed that if anyone knew how many children uh, Fish had killed, it was Wortham. Um but I couldn't actually find any any uh, notes about that. But you know, but but it it could well have been. Well, I'm sure it was dozens. I mean, he had spent decades going around the country, uh, uh, preying on children.
1: Wow, that's, that's fascinating. Now, you grew up in the 50s in the Bronx. Was there like a childhood uh-huh. memory or moment that like contributed to your writing style with the true crime, with this kind of stuff? Was there? Were you fascinated yep. with that kind of stuff growing up?
0: Well, you know, I mean, people often think about the 50s uh, in this kind of romanticized way as just bland, you know, happy days, leave it to be Um But it was really a culture that was steeped in all kinds of horrific stuff. Um, you know, uh, you know, people of my generation grew up watching all these old horror movies on TV, and it was a kind of a golden age of B horror movies. Um, you know, then there was just a lot of scary stuff coming out about the Nazi death camps and so on and so forth. So, you know, in many ways, uh, you know, with the EC horror comics, tales from the crypt, and so on. So, there was mm-hmm. a lot of that horrific stuff going on. I mean, I would say. It wasn't so much uh, an interest in crime per se, but I've always been very, very... You know, horror um, and horror movies and stories about monsters, you know, have, have always shaped my imagination. And, you know, when I first began writing, um, you know, my first couple of books, Deranged was the second book I did. First one was on Ed Gein, a book called Deviant. Ed Gein, you know, being the model for Norman Bates and Leatherface and... Uh, Buffalo Bill, and Silence of the Lambs. You know, mm-hmm. When I first began writing, when I first began writing, I didn't think so much I was writing true crime as true horror. You know, I was writing about real-life monsters. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, again, it, it was the influence of horror movies and so on more than crime.
1: What made you not choose Gein, but from Gein to go to Albert Fish, like, what made you choose those two, and then H.H. H. Holmes, because... Uh, the, the ones you, you hear about recently, these are older figures. What made you choose them?
0: Well, the reason I got to Gein, um, you know, I'd been writing books on a variety of subjects up till then, sort of whatever I was interested in at the moment. And I'd been working on a book about the movies. Uh, and that's when it came to my attention. This is going back like 1980. Well, the late 1980s. It's a while ago now. Um You know, I discovered the fact that Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Sons of the Lambs hadn't come out yet, were both inspired by the same actual case. So I was very fascinated by that. And, uh, you know, I started researching the Gein case, went out to Plainfield, so on and so forth. And, you know, that became my book, Deviant. And while I was researching Deviant, I was um, in touch with Robert Block. Robert Block was the author of the novel Psycho. And uh, at one point, you know, I, I asked Locke why he thought people were so fascinated by Ed Gein. And he uh, wrote back to me and he said, well, it's because they've forgotten about Albert Fish.
1: Um, really?
0: And, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, that led me to look into the Fish story. Uh, and by that point, you know, I started, you know, I was basically committed to writing books in this genre, um, not entirely sure how I came to Holmes, although it might have also been through Robert Bloch, because Robert Bloch wrote a novel based on H. H. Holmes um, mm-hmm. called Amer- American Gothic. So um, anyway, yeah. So that, that, but but certainly I was first alerted to the fish story by Robert Block.
1: With such these old cases, is it ever a problem? Like while you're researching, like oh, crap, I might not have enough information? Because now you type in, just say, a Columbine, and there's a gazillion stories. Were you ever worried, yeah. like, you're, you're doing the Albert Fish book, like, well, this
0: was so long ago, there's not going to be enough material to write? Um, well, you know, that has certainly been a consideration, but it's usually something that I try to address before I commit myself to writing a book. Um, you know, before I commit myself to writing a book, I try to determine whether... Um, yeah, exactly that, you know, whether there's going to be enough uh, documentation because, you know, with my books, I, I I rely on primary source materials for the most part. Um, the Fish case is actually kind of interesting because when I began my research, um, uh, I discovered that Fish had been represented. Um, his, his lawyer at the time of his trial in the 1930s, uh, was a guy whose name at the moment out <laughs> skips my, uh, it's my mind uh, when he gets a big page, it's crazy what happens to your memory. But anyway, but, but, um, but, you know, but I got the name of his lawyer and, uh, I was living up in Westchester County back then in upper, you know, North of New York city. Um, sure. and I knew his lawyer, you know, who had represented him, had lived not too far away from where I was living. Um, so I got the, you know, I got the phone book and, and I saw there was a guy with that, you know, with his name and I assumed it was his son. Um, so I called up and it turned out it was, it was, it was a guy himself was Albert Fish's lawyer who was what? 90 years old and was still, you know, going into his office every day. Very, very sharp guy. Um, I couldn't believe it. So I, I went up and, and, uh, to interview him and and it turned out he had in his possession what I believe is the only surviving transcript of Albert Fisher's trial um, which contained all of this incredible information including you know this very large appendix with all the uh, uh, evidence including by the way a copy of that letter So, um you know I was able to get hold of this thousand page document, uh, and it really it really made uh, really made it possible for me to write the books so.
1: now you're called an expert on serial killers, and hopefully I'm going to word this correctly because I was trying to like make a note on how I can even word this. We have the infamous killers Gacy, Dom or bundy yeah. i don't want to say I don't want to say a good killer, but why haven't recently we had I don't want you say I don't want to say a good killer why haven't what hasn't there been a yeah. serial killer that became as famous as these yeah. guys recently?
0: Yeah, well, you know that's a very excellent question um and it's one that I have you know kind of tried to grapple with myself a little bit. I mean again, without sounding too flippant <laughs> you know there did seem to be a kind of golden age of serial murder back in the seventies um I, well, I don't have a complete answer to that question, but I do think that somehow that, um, you know, that kind of wave of, uh, well, first of all, um, you, you know, serial murder, as I'm sure you know, is is not by any means a recent phenomenon, um, you know, the the term itself is relatively recent, but You know, those kinds of uh, psychopaths have always been with us um, and they used to call them different things. And, you know, one common term in the old days was lust murder. You know, these are extreme sexual sadists. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think there was something about the social conditions um, of uh, the United States starting in the 70s um, that gave rise um, to this to this group of uh, sexual sadists. You know, it's as though the, you know, when 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 you had the, you know, the 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 sexual, you know, the sexual revolution of the late sixties and seventies seemed mm-hmm. to unleash, you know, it seemed to unleash the, you know, when you seemed to unleash the id of the country, you know, it, it just gave permission somehow for you know these potential psychopathic sadists um, to you know to give vent to their darkest impulses and i think it also you know created conditions that made it easier for them uh to to get victims so uh, you know it, it's something about something about the tenor of the times you know gave rise to those to those people um you know that's the only answer i can come up with i mean obviously there's still serial killers you read about them every day um but you know but you know they tend to be um, you know, what I consider sort of garden variety serial killers, you know, people who will just prey on prostitutes and so on. Uh-huh.
1: Now, you re- released the book last year. I actually didn't get it yet called Man Eater. And it was I actually don't know anything about it. I know it's about a little bit about cannibalism. Can you tell me what it's about and yeah. sell it to me so I can, I can go buy it?
0: Well, uh, it's a great book. You should buy it for that reason. Um, well, Maneater, it's actually a subject I wanted to write about for a long time. I mean, Maneater is about um, uh, kind of a legendary figure, uh, particularly in Colorado, a guy named Al- Alfred Packer. Um, Packer was uh, a miner who in 1870s. Uh, ventured into the San Juan Mountains of Colorado uh, with uh, five other men um, and ended up uh, killing and eating them. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, Trey Parker met some of the South Park guys who attended the University of Colorado, made a very amusing movie about him called Cannibal the Musical. Um, but, you know, Packer... You know, Packer is kind of a, a folk figure out out in Colorado. In fact, the uh, student cafeteria at the University of Colorado is named the Alfred Packer uh, Packer Cafe. Wait, the,
1: the cafeteria, really?
0: Yeah, student cafeteria. So yeah, I mean, it was you know, Packer was not a serial killer. Uh, it was a case of uh, sur- well, you know, be called survival cannibalism. Um, and in fact, I mean, he wasn't. He wasn't. You know, if you look on Google. If you Google his name, some, you know, it'll come up that he was the first person ever convicted of cannibalism. But that's not true. He was convicted of killing these people.
1: Was there ever a case or story that you wanted to cover, but for one reason or another you didn't?
0: Um, Well, there have been a couple of cases that I have wanted to cover and then discovered that other writers have covered them pretty thoroughly. Um, you know, so, you know, so there've been a few cases like that where, you know, there's a, a killer back in the 40s named Harvey Glattman, um, okay. who lure, you know, lure women to his apartment under the guise of taking photographs of them for these true detective magazines. And, you know, uh, he was sort of a, a BTK killer, you know, buying torture kill. Uh-huh. Um, about a guy named Michael Newton, wrote a very thorough book about him. And, you know, there have been a couple of other cases like that. Um, and then there have been some cases, as you said before, uh, that have been very interesting to me, but I felt there just hasn't been enough material uh, on them for me to write a book about them. So.
1: You're a professor at Queens College. Do any of the students ever come up to you or take your classes? Because I know you don't teach a crime class, but do any of the students yeah. know who you are, basically?
0: Yeah, a few of them do. I mean, just the other day, in fact, uh, one of my students came up to me after class. You know, I've been on a lot of these documentaries and stuff, TV and so on. You know, so Mm -hmm. periodically a student will come up and tell me excitedly she saw me on cable TV or whatever. (laughs) Um, And, um, you know, I have a few students who, uh, you know, sometimes the students come up to me and tell me that, uh, you know, I've reached an age where, you know, like – I'm teaching the children of, you know, people that I taught years ago. Um, But, you know, some of them will tell me that their father and mothers are big true crime fans and know my books. So, yeah, some of them do. I would say most of them have no idea. Um, But, yeah, but certainly some of them do.
1: Med Sculptor, I thought it was tremendously written because it kind of took you back to New York City in the 30s and stuff like that. Albert Fish book around the New York area, being from New York, does that uh, contribute to wanting to write about stuff about New York?
0: Well, I mean, only in the sense that it's much easier for me to do my research, you know, with other books. Um, You know, when I wrote the Alfred Packer book, I had to travel to follow, not that, you know, I minded, but you know, travel around Colorado doing research, or you know, and I wrote the Ed Gein book. I had to go to Wisconsin, and the book I'm working on now, which is about uh, Belle Gunness, the uh, Lady Bluebeard of Laporte, Indiana. So, I mean, you know, in terms of actually, you know, just having to take a subway into Manhattan to do my research, um, you know, <laughs> it makes life much easier. Uh, but, you know, but that hasn't been a that hasn't been a particular factor in my choice. I mean, I I'm really just you know what I'm interested in is you know it's not it's it's not just the 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 horrendousness of the crime. you know it's it's the whole story. Um, you know you think about you know Leopold and Loeb case, you know, which was written about you know constantly, and now I understand you know they're doing some kind of uh, you know, a made for TV thing, you know, they like that OJ miniseries they recently did about Leopold and Loeb, you know, the crime they committed, the abduction murder of this 14 uh, year old kid, you know, is a terrible thing, but, you know, far more horrendous, you know, crimes, atrocities happen every day. You know, it's the characters, it's a story, uh, you know, that makes, you know, that makes it so compelling. So, um, so that's my primary uh, criterion for for choosing a focus on a case. You know, if this is going to make a, a compelling story. You know, not so much where it's set.
1: What? So I interview a ton of athletes, a few authors I've had on, a lot of world travel. I, I try to interview anyone I find fascinating or intriguing. And what we, most people do, I guess, you pigeonhole people. If I talk to a football player, I'm just going to mm-hmm. speak about football. I speak to a traveler. Besides writing these books, because I just picture you, like, in a study with a pipe, with all these, like, scary things around you. Obviously, that's not you. (laughs) No, well, actually, that's pretty accurate. accurate.
0: (laughs) Um, Well, no, if you saw my study, I think you would be very shocked at how accurate your uh, imaginings are. Um, Well, you know, I actually, I think, have a fairly full life (laughs) besides that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I do. all kinds of things. Well, first of all, I'm a literature professor, um, so I spend a lot of time talking about, uh, you know, the fiction of Nathaniel Hawthorne and Herman Melville and Edgar Allan Poe and the poetry of Emily Dickinson. Um, You know, I'm an avid, uh, always been a moviegoer, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm a family man. I spend a lot of time also with my dog, who I'm very obsessed with. Um, So, yeah. My entire life isn't completely taken up with, uh, you know, psychopathic sex murder.
1: (laughs) No, I've had you on now for 25 minutes, and I I can't thank you enough. Your wife and your daughter are both uh, authors. I think your wife's a poet. Do you read their work? I'm always curious.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Yes, no, I love reading uh, my wife's poetry. And, uh, you know, my younger daughter, as you said, is a – you know, a a young, uh, uh, an author of young adult novels, I read her stuff, and then I have an older daughter. Um, She is a professor of philosophy, and I try to read her stuff, but without any success. So, um, (laughs) but yes, I I do. Yeah.
1: Okay, I have two more questions for you. Whenever I have on, like I said, an athlete or someone else, I always ask them, like, you know, as more of a joke, like, Who's the coolest person in your phone? Like if we're out at a bar and you want to impress people, you know, people telling them Jordan's phone number or the president or this one or this one. Not saying that you have cool people in your phone, but has anyone ever shocked you like a celebrity or someone famous and said, hey, I, I read your work? Has that ever happened to you? Um,
0: yeah. I mean, you know, there are people I've met who uh, I think are pretty cool, um, who have been fans of my work, um, you know, from time to time. Um, You know, I remember years ago meeting John Waters, uh, who knew my work. Um, So, yes, that's definitely happened. Absolutely.
1: And where where do you live now? Do you live in Queens?
0: I do live in Queens now. I just moved from Brooklyn to Queens. I lived in Brooklyn for many years um, and now have moved uh, to Queens um, for a variety of reasons, uh, one of which is to be closer to my work. So, I mean, my work as a professor.
1: (laughs) Now, listen, I got to tell you this is the truth. You've done almost 30 minutes with me, and I really mean this. I haven't been this excited to interview somebody, so I really can't even thank you enough for coming on. And Next time we do a follow-up show, we'll come to Jack Dempsey's. It's the bar on 33rd Street, and they give me like my own private floor there. And we'll have a we'll have a good time there. Wow. We'll do a face-to-face show.
0: That's great. I've always wanted to go to Jack Dempsey's. Um, I remember I have a very vivid memory of uh, seeing it in the movie The Godfather. There's a scene, uh, you know, where, where you <laughs> see Jack Dempsey's restaurant. So uh, yes. that'd be great. No, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for asking me to be on.
1: No, oh, I I can't thank you enough, and. I guess have a great day and thank you for taking your Sunday morning out and uh, coming on the show with me.
0: My pleasure. Talk to you again. I'll keep in touch. Thank you, sir. Okay.
1: Bye. The great Harold Schechter. I only, like, uh, I told him we'll only do 30 minutes. So I, you can hear I have like five more pages of notes. When, uh, whenever I have someone on, I usually take like an index card or a post it and I write down like five or six bullets of asking about this, this, why he chose this school, this, this. Harold comes on. I just started writing, writing. I had four or five pages. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. I really hope we can get Harold to do a follow-up show. We'll do face-to-face. I have way more questions. Everyone, again, thanks for listening. Have a good Sunday fun day. Thank you.